The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. All right, great to see you here. Now, each year, Business Review Weekly publish the Rich 200 list. This is the uh, 2009 edition, for one simple reason. I'm a cheapskate, and this is really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> really, you need, you're going to almost be on the list to afford it. Um, but I went to the website, and uh, here we are with uh, the Rich 200. Does anyone want to guess uh, who is the richest person in Australia this year? Anyone? Uh, no, 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 unfortunately not, mate. everyone's a comedian. No, it's not a surprise. Gina, uh, Gina Reinhardt. But the, the hard, Gina's had a tough year. Um, a couple of years ago, she was worth 29 billion. Now she's only worth 14 billion. Uh, Anthony, yeah, I know. Anthony Pratt, uh, 10 million. Harry Trigger off 10. Frank Lowy, uh, the good news is he seems to have recovered from, uh, from the fall. Uh, 7,000. James Packer is way down at number seven. Uh, this year, so he's he's had a bit of a tough <coughs> year as well. It's worth thinking, about, isn't it? Why why does BFW go to the trouble to, to publish that? My guess is they sell more than just two hundred. Like it's not just like Gina and, and Harry ring up and say, "Oh, where do I rate?" and kind of buying a copy. <laughs> they sell thousands. Why? What's the appeal? So uh, it could be envy. Yes, envy. But it's like. It's kind of that fascination of what would it be, I reckon it's kind of the fascination of what would it be like to live in that world, you know, the, the rich and the famous and the kind of, and so the dream to be rich, so people, some people work really, really hard, run a business or climb the corporate ladder, others of us uh, dream of, of winning it. So uh, I did some research last night, the biggest Oslotto jackpot that I can find was in October 2012, $100 million dollars. And uh, I guarantee if you'd, uh, if you'd talk to the people as they were lining up uh, across, the, uh, across the counter from the news agents and said to them, what, are you gonna, what would you do with $100 million if you won it? I guarantee they've already kind of mentally made a list of the things that they would do. Because okay? money is exciting, sexy, powerful, <laughs> seductive, all of those things. Um, if you've seen the movie Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps, I'm sorry that you did. They should have spent some money on a scriptwriter. If you haven't seen it, let me save you two or three hours of your life. Uh, bad enough for me to have wasted that time. Uh, but money, money never sleeps. Now, it's worth thinking about, isn't it? Or I've, I've thought lots about it and actually read a bit about it. Why is it that some parts of the world are really poor and other parts of the world are really rich? And it's kind of, there's multiple factors, but it's not that some people are smarter than others. It's not some people work hard and others don't. Geography does play some kind of role. But there's an American, um, American academic, Rodney Stark. Uh, I don't know if Professor Stark is a Christian or not. You can't tell from the, well, I can't tell from the way that he writes. Uh, one of his books, The Victory of Reason, what he's arguing is that a key, probably the key component of the huge rise um, in wealth and productivity in the Western world was that the Western world had grown out of a Christian worldview. 
There was a teaching of Jesus and, and the worldview that came with that that made the creation of wealth possible. And things that we may take for granted if we live in Australia, like the rule of law, the fact that those who make the laws are under the law themselves, uh, property rights, that kind of thing, made, as he says here, um, made freedom and capitalism and Western success. Now, whether or not you agree with that, you know, I like it, it fits my prejudices, but it's a great book. Uh, let me give you a quote from an even greater book, and that would be uh, the Bible, because the Bible actually says the ability to create wealth is a gift of God. This is a quote from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is a, a big, long kind of sermon or talk that the great prophet Moses gave to the nation of Israel before they came into the Promised Land. So they, uh, they're They've been slaves in Egypt, um, they've been in the desert for years, and they're about to enter the Promised Land. And as they enter, they'll become very wealthy. They'll kind of be given all of this stuff, and then uh, wealth will come. And notice what, what God says to them through Moses. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. So, the, the ability to produce wealth uh, comes from God. Uh, it's easy to forget that, but uh, if you're wealthy, and in world standards, if you're sitting in this room, you're wealthy, uh, it's been the gift of God. And for our society too, and the wealth that we have has come from God. I mean, the, the problem is, of course, at the moment, there's just not quite enough to go around. Uh, we're always kind of a little short. Now, for me personally, how do I feel it? Well, uh, my wife, Kathy, you, you may know that is Chinese. She's got this Jedi thing with money. She's just so good with money. Um, she, she's trying to get... I don't know what it is. It's just it is. Um, she's trying to get me on this app on my phone called Track My Spend. And so she gives me a budget, and the budget goes up there, see where the green is, that's just a random one off the, um, uh, off the net. But uh, the budget goes up there, and then you put in under it everything you've spent for the month. Uh, but the trouble is, as soon as you use up your budget, it goes red, whatever day of the month it is. So I find myself constantly saying, why is there so much month left at the end of the money? Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, that's how I meant to write it. Okay. Uh, it's true across the world at the moment, isn't it? There's, there's nations and economies that are operating in the red. We've just seen the crisis in Greece that I, I guess continues uh, the, uh, and the EU. Uh, as I understand it, I'm just a simple pastor, but if you're an economist, you can explain it to me later, but I gather more and more governments are just kicking the tin, uh, down, the, kick the tin down the road. In other words, put off the debt and the debt levels get bigger and bigger. Um, even in Australia, we've, we're better off than many other countries, but we've got a government at the moment that's saying we've got to rein in debt, we have to get back to a surplus. Uh, how do we pay for our health system as, the, as people get older? Um, it, it feels like trying to keep warm with a bunny rope. You have cold feet or cold shoulders. It, it's fair. Personally, people really feel the pinch. Um, did, I don't know if you noticed, was it last week or the week before? The median house price for uh, Sydney has now just passed how much? 
A million dollars, yeah. I had to look up what median meant. It's basically, if you put them all in a line, all the house prices, the median is the middle one. A million bucks. So, if you're lucky enough to scrape together a deposit, then you're paying a massive mortgage and then there's school fees and there's transport and, there's, and lots of us are doing it tough. So there's just not quite enough money to go around. Um, but you know what? As I did a little bit of research, <coughs> we're getting richer and richer all the time. So here's... Now I realise I'm probably talking to a room full of actuaries and um, if I... <laughs> correct me, but I... Basically, this is an index of real median, once again, the middle from the top to the bottom, real median household income from 81 to 2012. And you can notice, um, in real terms, this is what it really is, there wasn't a lot happened from early 80s to late 90s. It pretty much stayed at that same index. But you can see there's been massive growth in real, real income. Take out inflation, massive growth in real income in those uh, from 2000 on. Well, wait a minute. Why? Why is it that we get richer and richer and richer? And there was one stat that really jumped out to me, even I could understand it. Richard Dennis, uh, who uh, works with the Australia Institute, says in real terms, we're three times wealthier than we were in the 1950s. Real, th three times. And, and I did some research that said, and we're seven times richer in real terms than we were 100 years ago. So why is it that we can get richer and richer and richer and richer and yet there's still that financial pressure and we still feel under strain and there's never enough money? And as usual, Jesus has an answer and as usual, it's confronting uh, and challenging. Let me show you. Inside your program on the left-hand side is an incident or a story from the life of Jesus um, in chapter 12. And so uh, as Jesus is... To put it into context, we're looking at the whole, across the whole year, we're looking at Jesus' journey to Jerusalem that starts in chapter 9 and finishes in chapter 19. That Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and someone in the crowd calls out, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, so there's a fight over a will. Uh, unfortunately, that's not unknown. The older I get, the more of those I've seen. Uh, have you heard the old expression, where there's a will, there's a relative? Okay, that's the... Right, so, it's a fight... Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, there's a fight over a will. Now, look at Jesus' answer. That is, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? If you put it into modern-day Australian, Jesus said, I didn't come to referee your cat fights. Okay, that's, that's his answer. But what he does do is diagnose the problem. And here's the problem. Then he said to them, he said to them all, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I'll read it again. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. How'd you like to do something a little unusual? Talk, talk with the person beside you. What do you think would be a definition of greed? We'd almost all say how oh, greed is wrong. But, and I'm going to ask you if you'd like to... It's not a rhetorical question. Like I said last week. Who needs rhetorical questions? Okay. Um, uh, a definition of greed. Have, have a talk and I'll ask if you've got some comments. 
Okay, coach. Anyone? Um, does anyone want to have a? Don't be. Uh, don't be nervous. Let's kick it around. Anyone want to make a seat? Yes, sir. I want more. I want more. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's the thing. That, yeah, okay. I want more. That, that's good. Uh, yeah. Not being content. Can you say a little louder? Not being content. Not being content. You can see how that, that's the same. Yeah, okay. Not being content. I want more. Other, you know, another go? What I have is not enough. What I have is not enough. Yeah. Yeah, but very good. I mean, that's, that's the essence of it, isn't it? Uh, do you notice... Jesus' definition is in here, if we just read it slowly, what's he saying? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So watch out, Ben, you there's all kinds of greed. Life does not... Greed is believing that life is about an abundance of possessions, other how much stuff that we've got. And you see, that's another way of saying the three answers that we got. But you notice what he says, watch out, be on your guard. Why? Why does he say that? Okay, here's my, uh, uh, here's my little way of trying to illustrate it. Most of you guys got a driver's licence? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. I've, told, I've taught four kids to drive. Uh, uh, three daughters and a son. Uh, I think I've spent 250 hours I worked out. In, in... Anyway, uh, some of that is spent squealing like an eight-year-old girl on a water slide saying stop, 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 but most of it was okay. The first thing you do when you teach one of your kids to drive, especially if they're driving in your own car, there's a huge investment in this. That is, you sit them in the car and you say, uh, okay, adjust the rear vision mirror and the side mirror, good, right? And then I walk back beside the car and say, okay, Amy, can you, how well is Can you see me now? Yep, I'm behind the car. And then you walk up beside the car slightly to the right. Can you see me now? Can you see me now? Can you? And there comes a time when I'm, I could almost touch her when what happens? You disappear. Why? Blind spot. Yes. And there is, you can sit there and unless you turn your complete blind spot right there, which is potentially worth thousands of dollars if she doesn't know about it. <coughs> right. Now what's Jesus saying? Jesus saying is greed is our great blind spot. We don't actually see it. 25, 30 years I've been teaching the Bible. I don't think I've ever had anyone come to me and, uh, and, and, and kind of say... I want to talk to Ella. I'm struggling. I think I'm greedy. No, one ever we just don't. I'm not greedy. Just know a few extra things I'd like. I mean, I think that. And maybe you're like that too. I wonder if you'd... Um, uh, let me go back. I wonder if you'd like to have a, a little chat so I'm, and I'll get some answers. Why is it you think that it never quite delivers? Uh, Jesus said, beware, beware of greed, okay, and yet, it never, uh, it never quite delivers. What is it about uh, the things that we own? What is it... Um, uh, let me put it another way. If life is defined by the things that we own... I'll go back. If life is defined by the things that we own, it's actually never enough. We never quite arrive. It never quite delivers. What if you have a talk together and see, do you agree with that? And is there some reasons why it might never quite deliver? Why is it always kind of that empty feeling? You might not agree. If you want to have a talk, we'll, we'll push it around.
Okay, okay folks. I'll, uh, I'll interrupt you. I'll have a proper Q&A time later. I put it to you that, that the essence of greed, and the reason Jesus says watch out about it, the essence of greed is thinking, if I just have more stuff, then I'll feel more secure. Right? I'll feel more secure. Or I'll feel more important. Okay? Either the, the stuff that I own will make me feel safe, or it'll make me feel important. Now, let's face it, if you've got money, people treat you differently. Okay? Um, I notice if I go to a shop on the way back to the office, if I'm dressed in a suit and tie and everything, they treat you differently than the way I'm kind of normally just shuffling around. Okay? They, they, they treat you. Now, why do you think, any ideas on why it doesn't quite deliver? Why is it, why is it that it's never enough? Yeah, you know? Because uh, only God can the deepest needs and longing of our soul. And when people don't realize that, they think, I'm not ha- I-, I need to be more happy, I need to be more content. So they think that by pursuing more material things, that hole in them, that, that empty space in them can be filled. But that doesn't feel filled at all. Yeah. So that they have to have more. They think yeah. by having another you know, LV handbag or iPhone 7 or I'll be happier. What's her handbag? <laughs> <laughs> I, I never get it about handbags. Like, why, why do you have it? Anyway. Right, okay. Right, that obviously hit the cord with half the audience. Right. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's an emptiness inside that we want that we look to fill up and we can look to fill it up with with things. As someone said this morning at the forum, it's like eating sugar all the time. It never quite fills you up. I know that when I'm hungry, I'll eat three or four chocolates, and then you're like, oh, I'm still hungry. It doesn't, it, yeah, that's right. It, it doesn't work. One of the ways, yep. Yeah, um, Maybe we can also, we can never own everything in this world, so there's always other things. Yeah, there's always something else, isn't there? It's never, the world is not a, enough. Interesting that you can look forward to things and then get them, and then they're ordinary. You have a cupboard full of, you know, I look forward to get a new suit or I look forward to get a new car and then you get the new car and after a couple of days it's just yeah, you, just another car, that's right. Or, or it's golf clubs or it's a computer or it's iPhone. Things become very ordinary very quickly. The other one that I, I've noticed is yesterday's luxuries become today's necessities become invisible tomorrow. Okay? In the early 90s, uh, a friend of mine who was a doctor gave me a mobile phone, his old mobile phone. It was the size of a paving brick and weighed about <laughs> the same, and I was so excited to get it. And now, phones, they're invisible. Everyone, everyone in our family has a phone except the dog, and he doesn't have the opposable phone. It's hard for him. But, yeah, they're just invisible. Or the old one, forgive me, I know if you regularly you've heard me say this before. I grew up in an in a ordinary house in a little country town, um, and we had two dishwashers. Two. Anyone want to guess? That was me and my brother. After my dad would say, go and do the dishes. <laughs> Mechanical dishwasher. Oh, wow. And now, who's got a dishwasher? Everyone. And who's excited about it? No one. It's just they're invisible. Or in 1974, our family got, I don't want to boast, we got a colour TV. <laughs> With a screen about that big, right? <laughs> okay, and now they still have the watch, but they're, they're just things become ordinary. 
And each generation expects that you should be born, or you should start standing on the shoulders of the previous generation in terms of wealth and expectations, and that's why our expectations keep growing and we get richer and richer and it's never enough. And I'm, I'm part of the problem, here I am. Or you assess yourself by your peers, okay? So I've got an iPhone 5, all the rest of my peers have got an iPhone 5, I don't feel rich. I want a six or a seven or what was it an eight you mentioned or something whatever it is. Okay. Um, and but if everyone gets wealthy, what we forget is, Kathy and I went to Cambodia a bit over a year ago. And the average average person who works in a garment factory in Cambodia earns five bucks a day. You know, it just we don't feel rich though because everyone, almost everyone, gets richer together. Now Jesus Jesus tells a parable a story to kind of drive home the point about, if you like, the foolishness of thinking life is about accumulating possessions. Uh, Here it is. Let's have a look. Uh, He says this. He tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Uh, The guy's already rich. He's already got everything he needs. Hasn't done anything wrong. Um, uh, His crops, you know, a uh, a huge yield this particular year. Uh, what's he done to deserve that? Nothing. It's the generosity of God. So God's giving this huge harvest. Uh, it's great. He's, he's rolling it. Uh, and we're told, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I've, I've spoken on this story a few times here in the city and I remember uh, one year I was doing it and a man up the back we got to this stage and a man up the back put his hand up and said so what did you do wrong? <laughs> it's exactly what my financial advisor would tell me to do and he's right isn't he? Um, if, you, uh, if you have a really good season and everyone's got a huge amount of grain what happens to the price? drops right down the idea is you save it, store it away, wait till a bad season, price goes up, you sell, you make a fortune. If I'd been on the ball to answer my friend up the back, I should have said, the main problem is his eyes are too close together. Right? Let me show you. And that is, it depends how you spell I, as in not E-Y-E, letter I. I'll read it for you again, and you listen, I'll read it with a different emphasis, Okay. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Can you pick who's missing from that speech? Our God, yes, and... Other people, basically God and everyone else on the planet. Whatever you said was going to be right, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, there's, it's, there's no thankfulness, there's no generosity, there's no looking outside, it's just all about me, me, me. And Jesus says there's one major problem with that investment strategy, one massive problem. He says this, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. I can't help but wonder that if you... um, 
if you walked up and down the, uh, the queue of people buying the Oslotto tickets and said to them, have you thought about what you'll do if you win Oslotto, that they could tell you the six or seven things they'd do straight away. And then if you said, um, have you thought about what happens when you die? Most people say, I don't like to think about it. I haven't thought about it. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. But then you could say, well, did you know, and I looked this up, did you know the chances of winning Lotto are 1 in 45,379,000? But the chance of dying, well, actually, the mortality rate has been shown to hover around 100%. Do you think it might be worth thinking a little more about this one as well? That's what Jesus is saying. BRW have changed the way that they present the Rich 200 list. Um, I do own the 2012 version as well. Up until 2009, they had a section at the back about people who had dropped off the list, people who'd left the Rich 200 list for one reason or another. You know, they'd uh, had a bad year on the stock exchange or something like that. In the front part of the book, the amount of money that people own varies from, well, this year was you know, 29 billion to about a pathetic 400 million, something like that. All the amounts were different. Some of the people in the back had left the list because they'd sad, sadly because they died. But what I found fascinating was this. In the front of the book, well, people owned all different amounts of money and, and assets. In the back, the amount they left behind was always exactly the same. Answer? Everything. They left everything behind. And what's Jesus saying? Why does he call this man a fool? Because this man spent his whole life investing and chasing things that ultimately he would leave behind and that would ultimately never satisfy and he had ignored the one who gave him life itself. And just as I said that wealth is a gift from God and the ability to create it is a gift from God, so is our life. And one day God will demand an accounting. See, life, your life will be demanded from you. God will ask, what have we done with our life? Have we honoured him and served him? Have we found forgiveness through the gift of Jesus? Or have we spent our lives ignoring him? And to front up before God, unforgiven and having ignored him, is a tragedy. Jesus warned about it again and again. So God will send us away from his presence, this empty, lonely, hopeless place. See, Jesus isn't against us owning possessions. He's against possessions owning us. And I think, you see, he says, the big thing about being rich towards God, what he means is actually know God and have relationship with him and, uh, and live our lives that way. Now, I'll put it to you, folks. Our society keeps thinking the currency of life is money and possessions. The way Jesus sees life, the currency of life is relationship. I just had a bit of a glimpse of that uh, a couple of weeks ago. I had a, a good friend here from England, um, and I've, I've been mates with him for uh, 27 years or something. I only get to see him every couple of years. And he came out and uh, managed to get all four of the kids uh, together and Kathy, and there was about eight or nine of us sat around a table in a really nice Italian restaurant and we just had a wonderful night, ate and drank and enjoyed ourselves. And I, I remember I just sat back and thought, God's very kind. I'm, I'm a rich man. Uh, not money 
but in what, what really matters. And what Jesus is saying is what really matters ultimately is our relationship with God, to know him, honour him, serve him. Um, and the beautiful thing is once you actually do that, your possessions and what you own kind of um, falls into place. You can actually enjoy stuff more because you sit lightly to it and it's not the meaning of life. Now that's why Jesus does talk in the very next thing about the meaning of life or the purpose or why we're here. And you see in your program, the very next thing he says is, then Jesus said to his disciples, to those who would follow him, he says, therefore, because of all this, therefore I tell you what? Well, it's next week. You can, you can read ahead if you want, but that, yeah, come back next week. Uh, I should just say, as Russ walks out, um, and I've, I'm going a little bit too long, I'll be really quick. I talked about how to have more than enough as a title. The way to have more than enough is not to earn billions of dollars. If you have the wrong heart, that'll never, it'll never be enough. The way is to learn contentment. And that's, that's not easy. But as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, um, his, his young lieutenant, in the letter of 1 Timothy, towards the end of the New Testament, look at what he says. He says, but godliness, meaning to know God, to serve him, to trust him, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Okay, there's no pockets in shrouds. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Now, I need to work on that. I don't know that I'm there yet, but he's saying, that, that's enough. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The desire to be rich will damage your life, or damage you. The godliness with contentment. Uh, and then it, in terms of... I'm going to stop, Russ. I'll just... We'll take... Uh, <laughs> I said I would. I wasn't to pressure you. Man. No, 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 you're right. And I stand up like, oh. It's when he's standing in the back home. <laughs> All right, now your first question um, from the SMS questions um, is: Australia wealthier because it's more or less Christian? Um, yeah, good question. <coughs> I think what I want to say is that uh, European settlement here, or if I could say white Australia, uh, although I know we're in Asia and um, that's good, <laughs> okay. But um, that last 240, 250 years. I think a major factor in, in the wealth, prosperity and freedom that we have here is that Australia inherited the, I guess the expression is, the Judeo-Christian worldview. So the rule of law, property rights, um, uh, the opportunity that, that, made, that made, came with the Industrial Revolution in England. It's that, it's that privilege that we had that's, that's created the wealth here as well as a whole lot of natural resources, good climate, that kind of thing. But it's a great privilege that, that we had as a country. Uh, I'm worried that as a society we're busy running away from it and we don't realise why we have such privileges here. Next question was, um, does, what I do with, no, does what I do with my money um, affect my potential salvation? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, does what I do with my money affect my potential salvation? Uh, you don't earn your salvation. You ask to be forgiven because Jesus died for you and it's a gift. 
But more than anything, I think, what you do with your money shows where your heart is. So uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, you can't serve two masters, um, either you'll love one and hate the other, you can't serve God and money. Now money's not bad and possessions are not bad and nowhere does Jesus say that poverty is good, but it's what we do with our money shows our priorities and where our heart is. And I think the great, uh, the great test, if you like, is, is money your servant or your master, Jesus keeps asking. And one of the great indicators of that is, are you able to be generous? Are you able to give money away? You know, like, lots of zeros. Oh, you need another number at the front, all right, as well. Um, but are you able to give money your possessions? And even your possessions. Can you, can you let someone stay in your home? You know, like, you're away, can you, can you loan your home to someone? Can you loan your car to someone? Can you loan... If you can't, you've got to ask, well, wait a minute, why... why I don't mean some lunatic or whatever. I mean someone who you know you could trust. But why couldn't you loan it to someone? It, it, generosity shows really who's the master and who's the servant. Jesus talked more about money and our attitude to it than almost any other subject. Um, and I need to keep hearing it. Thoughts, Sorry. Right. We've got one more, and then we'll probably yeah we'll, okay. we'll do. Um, we say money doesn't buy happiness, but do we really believe that? <laughs> no, no one believes that. <laughs> we all say oh, money doesn't buy happiness. I don't know about you, but even as I say it, the little voice in the back of my head that says, you know, oh, but I'd love a truckload to try or whatever. Yeah. Um, it was Spike Milligan uh, who said, all I ask is the chance to prove money doesn't buy happiness. <laughs> yeah, I, it's interesting how Jesus warns us again and again and again about believing that money will buy happiness and it's so hard to keep believing because every message we get says the opposite um yeah the recording that you have just listened to is from the city bible forum for more information about city bible forum events in your city or to order other talks please visit citybibleforum.org